Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and from the Holy Spirit. Amen. Recently heard a story uh, about a guy who was out hiking, and as he was going along, he slipped and kind of fell down the hill, and luckily as he was going down, he was able to grab onto a tiny little branch, and he was kind of hanging there, and he's looking, and it's a hundred a foot drop below him, and he, he's scared. He starts shouting out, hello, is there anybody there? Can anybody help me? When suddenly there was a voice that said, Jack, that's the guy's name, Jack. He goes, who, who, who's there? How do you know my name? Jack, it is I, the Lord. God, God, that's you? Where are you? Well, I'm the Lord. I'm everywhere. Oh, right. That's how that works. Okay. Well, I, listen, I'm in a bad way right now, and, and I'm really scared. Could you, could you save me? I need you to rescue. I, whatever. I will give up sinning. I will stop saying those bad words. I'll stop drinking so much. I'll just, I'll, and God interrupts him and says, Jack, let's hold off on the promises. Let's, let's get you saved first, and then we can talk. But I, Jack, I need you to listen very close. I'm going to tell you exactly what to do. Are you ready? Yes, anything, anything, Lord, just save me. I'm so scared. Okay, Jack, what I need you to do is I need you to let go of that branch. What? I need you to let go of that branch. I'll catch you. You have to have faith, my son. Trust me. There's a long pause, and then suddenly Jack yells out, hey, is there anybody else up there? Faith is a, uh, a very difficult thing when it comes to the Christian life. It's something that we talk about a lot. It's something that's foundational for what we do. Um, but unfortunately, a lot of times it is under attack from doubts, from questions, from things like that. And we, we feel that we are wrong for having that. So today, we're going to dive into the concept of faith. Before we do that, let's go to God in prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for today, this chance that we can come here, whether in person or online, that we live in an age where that is possible, to worship you, to be present with the family of believers. Lord, I pray that you would bless this time. I pray that you would bless this message. What a, what a powerful blessing and responsibility to share your word. And so, Lord, I beg that it would be your word. I pray that you would move me out of the way that as I submit myself, I pray that others would be willing to do the same. Submit ourselves to your Holy Spirit, trusting that you will speak and that we would have the diligence and the patience to listen. Lord, be present and be known. In your name, amen. Now, I'm going to be looking at both of our readings today, which is Habakkuk uh, chapters, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, as well as part of our gospel reading today from Luke chapter 17. A um, little historical context for Habakkuk, um, because it's important to know kind of what he's speaking into, because he's a prophet to the people of God, which if you've been here the past couple weeks, you know that I've talked about how the people of God, uh, what we usually consider to be the nation of Israel, uh, there's a stage where they're split, where you have the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah. Uh, they're still consider themselves the people of God, but there's this division and rivalry happening. Uh, well, by the time Habakkuk comes onto the scene, the people that were known as the, the nation of Israel have kind of been stomped out. Uh, they're kind of scattered a bit. Judah is kind of the remaining nation, um, but then they kind of readopt the name of Israel. And so he, he's looking already at a group of people that have endured some conquest. Um, and in the particular time that he is around, there are nations around them that are, that are gaining in power, specifically the Chaldeans, um, which was led by uh, King Nabopolassar. 
and, and this was around 626 or so BC, uh, he begins to revolt against the Syrians, uh, which are based in kind of the main seat, the city of Babylon. So if you hear Babylonians, right? Eventually, they revolt and come in and they capture Babylon, these Chaldeans, and they become the Babylonians uh, that are influential for Western culture. They're influential throughout the history of Scripture as well. And so these Babylonians, they also, in 605, they conquered Egypt. Like the great nation of Egypt, they moved in and got, got hold of that too. So basically what the, the Israelites, the people of God, the Judahites, they're looking and saying, wow, this, these nations are growing in power and they're sitting right at our doorstep. We're next. And they're concerned about this. They, they see this coming and, and that's what Habakkuk is speaking into. He's speaking in and seeing as their enemies are gaining in power, and he sees the proverbial writing on the wall that, that his people, supposedly God's people, are going to fall. And sure enough, they end up falling. It's not by King Nabopolassar, but his son, Nebuchadnezzar. i got to tell you, we don't name kids the same anymore, do we? Though millennials are trying to bring that back. I, you just wait. You're going to meet a Nebuchadnezzar one time in your life. There's going to be some, you're going to be like, oh, I've got a play date with little Nebu next week. Um, <laughs> But so Nebuchadnezzar, who is the son of Nabopolassar, uh, they end up overtaking and sacking Jerusalem in 587 B.C. So this is Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, he takes place right before this. So he sees this coming. In fact, God tells him this is coming. So if you look through this book, Habakkuk, he, he basically, it's constantly him saying, why God, why? Why am I enduring this? Why are your people enduring this? Why are we going through this difficult time? And I got to tell you, in 2022, we can resonate with that a little bit, can't we? You look at this world and there's wars and conflicts, there's storms and wildfires and floods and all, not to mention the plague that we just got through. And you can look and, and have a reasonable mind to say, God, why? Why is this happening? Why have you abandoned us, it feels like? And that's just talking large scale, right? In your individual lives, there probably have been times where you're going, God, why? Why am I having to endure this? And, and what Habakkuk is crying out, you're going, yeah, yeah, Habby, same, buddy. I feel you. I feel exactly this, this bemoaning that you have. Same, and so it would stand to reason that you have been through this, and it resonates with our current age. And with that in mind, I think there's something that we can learn from Habakkuk. Because you see, at the beginning of chapter 2, after basically all of chapter 1, he's talking about, like, these are the things that are happening to my people. Why, God? It says that he will stand watch. He says, I will watch and I will see what God is going to do. I'll watch and I'll see how God is going to respond. He says, stand watch. It could be actually talking in terms of military terms, right? Because there is, you know, an enemy at the gates. Most likely he's more talking spiritually, which I think we can learn that as Christians, as we go through these times, we're crying out, why God, why? There are really two things we should be doing. First is pay attention. Stand watch. Look around you. Look for how God is at work. And that's, that is difficult in this day and age, right? Where somebody sends an email and they expect a response 30 minutes later. They're like, well, why, why haven't I heard from you? Because it was 30 minutes ago. I'm still reading the thing, right? And trying to formulate a response. It's, it's the same culture where we, we get up in the morning, you got to get some sort of food in the kids, get them dressed, make sure their shirt's on the right way, off to school. Oh, you're sitting there thinking, I got to stop by the bank. I got to send this package. Oh, I got to pick up a gift for my sister. You know what? I'm just going to order something from Amazon here at this stoplight. That's it's all the time I have right now, right? That's the life that we're in. 
We are so caught up in our to-do list in the chaos of this world, it is very difficult to pay attention to God. In fact, it's easy to miss him at times, which leads me into the second point, right? Because Habakkuk says, I will keep watch, God, what will be your response? And God responds and says, be patient. Pay attention and be patient. He tells him that this is not the time. The time will come. Trust me, the time will come. See, we think that everything happens on our terms. We think our schedule is the most important thing. We, we are so used to instant gratification. Like, uh, full confession, there are times I get so angry when I'm the second car at a stoplight and that light turns green and the person in front of me has the audacity to sit there for more than a second. I'm like, ooh, buddy, you best get going. Put down your phone whenever you're tweeting up there, right? Or if you're putting on Netflix and it buffers, oh, I don't have the entire world of entertainment at my fingertips at every given moment? No, 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 no. I better call Xfinity right now and fix this. Everything has to happen on our terms. We are used to instant gratification, yet God says, be patient. Our whole life in comparison to eternity is but a blink. Pay attention and be patient. It's difficult for us to do. More on that in a moment. He then finishes by saying one of the most well-known and quoted sections, sentences within Scripture. For the righteous shall live by faith. What he's saying there is the righteous, the right, the people who are following the right path, right? These aren't like the holier than thou. These are the ones that are just pursuing the way things are meant to go. Because we have to keep in mind, this world was designed, this world was created by God, and he had a purpose for things. He had a, the directions. Uh, we chose to take things our own way, and we continue to take things our own way. The righteous are the ones that are following the instructions, right? And it says they should do what? Live by faith. What that means, remember again, the context of Habakkuk is he's saying, listen, you say that we're going to be thwarted. You say we're going to be, there's going to be all these conquests that come in and take us out. What are we going to do? We're going to be scattered yet again. I'm not sure that we can handle this. And God says, have faith. He's working. He's doing something behind the scenes. Have faith. And, and you live not according to your own will, not according to your own pride, but according to your understanding of God. Now you're sitting here thinking, okay, that's all well and good, but, but that's a big ask. To take that, that next step, that first step, whatever it is, to take that step in faith, sometimes I wrestle with that. Sometimes I have questions, sometimes I have doubts, and you're, you're asking me to base an entire understanding of my life on, on something that, it's, it's a fairy tale. See, that's the issue. I think we have a broken misunderstanding of God. Because see, in the gospel reading, it talks about how faith is small as a mustard seed. Now, if you've been uh, in the church for any amount of time, you've probably heard a reference to faith as small as a mustard seed. We have a piece of artwork in our hallway about faith as small as a mustard seed, right? And you know a mustard seed is very small. I've heard this countless times. Now, it wasn't until a couple weeks ago I was in Montana on an active farm. That's where we stayed, and they had harvested most of their crops. But there was one off in the, the far corner of the property that still had, you know, some plants on it. So I wandered over there to see what it was about, and it plant about yay high or so. And there are these little seed pods, and I wonder what this is. And I crack it open, and instantly, like, 10 or 15 just minuscule little things fall out, the size of, like, a large grain of sand. 
I looked it up. It was Asian mustard. They, they truly are absolutely tiny. And to look out at this field and see these absolutely minuscule seeds and what they had grown is kind of impressive. But that's, that's what it's talking about, these tiny little minuscule things and how that faith, as small as that, God says, I can work with that. Because, see, God uses small things. I think sometimes we wrestle with that because we're looking for something bigger from God. We're looking for some big moment. We're looking for some spectacle. But God has always used small things. There are so many people who would say, well, science, you know, God is a fairy tale. God is a myth. This is all just something, a little thing to, to make you feel better about life. But I had the privilege during college to sit with the head of the biology department. I've talked about this before. Um, and that he says that all of his colleagues, the more you study science, the more you study biology, the more you study this world, and the more complex you get, you realize, wow, this can't be random. It's far too complex for that. You look at things like molecules and DNA. I mean, talk about God using small things. And, and some would say, well, you, if you're looking at science, that's disproving God. No, the more you learn about science, the deeper you get into the material, you learn that this has to be intelligently created. Most scientists find themselves becoming agnostic, if not necessarily believing full Christianity. They believe in the concept of God. That's the first step. God can work with that. It'd be like if somebody said, hey, you know that Monet? <laughs> the, the water lilies, that nice painting there by all? Oh, it's so beautiful. It's so, I, I did my research. Did you know? That's just paint on a piece of cloth. Like, it's not anything special. I, I looked it up. It's just, it's just pigment. It's just like it's, it's made from plants and stuff. And this guy smeared it all together. There's not magic there. See, you're missing the point. God is using these amazing substances to create something beautiful. Monet used bits of plant and bugs and, and, and rocks. He smeared them all together on this canvas and made something beautiful. God uses things like molecules and DNA and atoms to make something beautiful that you can't find, or at least we haven't found anywhere else. See, when you look at the bigger picture, you realize God uses small things to do something amazing and incredible. Just look at Jesus' life. I think because we hear it so often, we, we kind of lose sight of just how impactful it is by being not impactful. Jesus was a man born to a young woman and a carpenter. He was born in a barn. You know, we hear about the manger because we give it a, a faint. It was just a barn. He was born in a barn, and then we don't really hear anything about his, his young life. He got lost one time. His parents kind of forgot him, right? Other than that, you don't really hear anything until he's in his early 30s. So, like, how remarkable was that life? And yet, he was the son of God. God works in small things. And then in his 30s, he, he's doing these incredible things, but really what's, what's causing waves is the love that he's showing. It's not the miracles. The miracles are gaining people. People are getting their attention. But, but when it comes down to it, the issues that he's having with the Pharisees and the scribes is that they're breaking their ritual laws. He's showing love to the ones that they consider to be unclean, that they consider to be unlovable. That's not something amazing. That's not something mind-blowing. That's not something that you'd see and go, wow. It's something that you see and go, wow. See, God uses the small things. And then, ultimately, he goes to the cross. Ultimately, he is crucified. And we have taken that symbol and we made it into, you know, we got the necklace and we got the shirt and we got the hat and the tattoo and whatever, right? And we put it on everything. And it becomes this powerful symbol 
But for the people of the time, it was just a method of execution. Thousands upon thousands, possibly hundreds of thousands of people died the same way. God uses small things. And he did that to do something amazing, to pay the price for us, for our sin that we exact every single day, that we continually rack up debt. He paid the price in advance for us so that we can be set free, so that we get entrance into something so much bigger than we can ever wrap our mind around here in this world. So maybe you're sitting here today and you're thinking, you know, I don't know that I feel connected anymore. I know that I grew up in the church and I, I felt connected to the church. And at one point, at one point, my faith was alive and blossoming. But now I, I, I think I believe, maybe, I don't know. I can work with that. I want to leave you with an illustration. Uh, we're, we're getting into fall now. It's funny, we keep talking about this. It's still like 85 degrees outside. What does that say about Texas? Like, oh, cooler weather. Everybody get on your flannel. Um, but what that means is in a couple weeks, the leaves will start to change color a little bit, right? Uh, I've got, my neighbor has a big sycamore tree. And, uh, and they're beautiful trees. If you see one, you'd recognize it. It's got really a stark white trunk. <coughs> and then large green leaves, just really large, bright, almost lime green leaves. And, uh, and over the coming weeks, those will slowly kind of turn yellow and and maybe they'll turn a little, kind of the shade of orange, but eventually they're just kind of, kind of shrivel and one by one fall off the tree. And come winter, you'll look at it and you'll say, it's just a bunch of sticks. And if you didn't know any better, you might even say, wow, what a tragedy. This beautiful tree that provided such shade that was so, so wonderful to look at, that was a home for all these animals. Look, it's dead now. Because when you look at it, there's no leaves on it. It looks dead. But what you don't know is that underneath that bark, there are all the sugars that over the course of the summer, the chlorophyll did its job, the leaves, all that energy is being stored in there and the tree is doing something. Because come spring, suddenly there'll be tiny, tiny little blooms on there and those leaves will come out and get just as big and just as bright. And in fact, it's a new leaf and so it's not marred with the scars of the previous season. My friends, maybe you're in winter and you feel like all the leaves have fallen off and you're looking and saying, my faith is dead. My relationship with God is dead. I'm too far gone. Don't cut down the tree because you don't know what's working beneath the surface. Maybe you're in fall and you feel like things are just slipping away from you and you're, you're nervous about it and you're saying, I, I need to recover this. I need to hold on to every last shred of it. But this is just part of the process. Spring's going to come. Spring will always come. See, the struggle that we have with faith is trust. It's difficult to look at a tree with no leaves and imagine what it looks like in the heart of summer. It's difficult to look and say, well, what does my faith look like when it is healthy? What do, what do I look like when I'm healthy, when, I, when I'm mentally taking care of myself, when I, I'm taking the time to rest, to pay attention, and to be patient? If you're going through winter, don't cut down the tree. Pray that something is happening beneath the surface. There's a challenge that we have as Christians to, to live up to this faith, and unfortunately it's gotten a bad name because as we tend to do as mankind, we, we add stipulations onto it. We say, this is what faith looks like. This is what faith sounds like. This is how faith dresses. 
I saw a pastor just this morning on Twitter. She posted, uh, Pastor Nadia Bowlesweber. She said, if you find yourself reaching for faith, straining for a faith that is too big for you, and you find yourself falling short, take heart, because God always puts the best stuff on the lowest shelf. God uses the little things. God uses small things. And it may be easy to overlook them. It may be easy to just blow right past them with the busyness and the chaos of this world. But pay attention and be patient. Because God's doing incredible things. Because God knows you. He knows exactly what you need. He knows what situation you need to walk into. He knows the people that you can impact. He knows the faith that he has kindled within you. Maybe as small as a tiny little mustard seed, but he is nurturing it and growing it. And one day it will sprout again because spring is still coming, my friends. God knows you. He cares about you. He is nurturing you. He is helping that to grow and to blossom because God loves you. Above all else, know that. God loves you. So much so that he'll forgive you, that he'll give you a fresh start, that you can start anew. Spring is coming. Don't cut down the tree. God loves you. Amen.